Welcome to the Conflicting Opinions Podcast, where each episode my co-host Greg and I will pick a topic, pick a side, and try to convince you who is right. After each episode, you'll be able to visit our website to cast your vote on who won. This week on Conflicting Opinions, we'll be discussing globalism versus nationalism. Welcome to the second episode. This week we'll be talking globalization versus nationalism. Did I put that right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. This is your topic. You have let's. Uh, why don't you describe what we'll be arguing? Well, today we'll be arguing the benefits of globalization. And when you say globalization, do you mean one world government, or what do you mean by globalization? Well, governments are relevant in this argument. Are irrelevant. Jesus, government is irrelevant in this argument. Um, well, there goes my argument. There goes all the points is, I was going to make. <laughs> my argument is for uh, one global community, uh, one you know humanity, no borders, no nations, uh, no dividing lines, government or not. Okay, so the government has to play a part. There's just one head, and there's no borders. There's no. Or how does? How are the country going to run itself? Is it just going to be anarchy in the streets, or is there a government that just sits back and... This is your argument already falling apart before we even get started. Well, it sounds like you're saying that government is needed for human existence. Well, obviously it's not. So, where's your argument? Well, my argument's for nationalism, how borders and centralized governments are good. Yeah, which is which is fine. And you just want president of Earth, kind of thing. I, there doesn't need to be any president. Oh, this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're just arguing for one free people, and everyone's all the same, and borders don't exist, and I can move to the middle of Europe if I want to, and no one's going to stop me, or. Absolutely. Okay. That's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So my first issue is movement of people. How are you going to police who moves where? This would be called immigration if, you know, you had borders like every nation ever. So let's say that everyone wants to move to New York City. Is there going to be a governing body that stops them or... Is it just going to get more dense? So there's the thing. The appeal of moving to a place that is continually getting more dense will decline. So eventually, without a government saying you can or cannot move here, uh, the appeal to go to that place would go down. So by the time it gets you know, to a point where it's no longer a, an ideal place to live because of you know, the volume of people that are there, people are going to stop going there and they're going to choose somewhere else. If they go there, they're going there because they enjoy that density of people, and then it's a good thing. So there is going to be no regulation. It's going to be the whole libertarian sense of the word where the people will police themselves. And this is police in the sense that, oh, hey, look, Manhattan's getting pretty thick. I think I might go south. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's ridiculous. That, that was just that's a cluster F if I've ever seen it. All right. Uh 
I'm going to try very hard not to work the word terrorism here because I don't think that's a good enough point to argue. It's not worthwhile. There'll be terrorism no matter what. So this next question is similar to the migration of people. Let's say an Ebola or a Zika outbreak happens. If there's no borders to tell people, even if they're imaginary, how are they going to quarantine them? Because people won't do it themselves. Is that when that laissez-faire and Rand government's going to step in? Or what? how is that going to be policed? Well, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so your thought is that if disease, you have an outbreak, you have a pandemic, um, it would spread uncontrollably because some governing body can't step in and quarantine that entire country or region, right? Absolutely. Let's say if I'm in, you know, the Amazon and I catch a virus and normally they'd be like, hey, hey, don't get on that plane. There are people there. But there, if there's no borders and it's all one country or one planet, there won't be anyone to stop me. So I think that that's a problem that is not as big as it's imagined to be. It's a narrow focus. It's very... What if? Right. So but. imagine, So, and it's a problem that's also created by the separation of communities and societies, right? Um, I think eventually, if you have a free and open world, um, disease is going to become common. And yes, you're going to have the edge cases where um, a new disease is discovered and is brought into a country and wreaks havoc. Um but modern medicine and technology is not going anywhere. We're going to tackle those problems just on a larger scale. Um, quarantine is one option because we have borders, uh, closed borders specifically, um, but it doesn't have to be like that. Okay. You see? So the the, the fact that we are a one people, nation, or planet, the medical community might be able to attack it easier? Is that what you're arguing? Or would that be... Something? Not not necessarily easier. I think we would attack it in a different way. Don't get me wrong. You may have higher death counts in a pandemic-type situation, um, but I think a lot of other aspects of life would be improved by that sort of living. So you could discount that a disease every few years wiping out a few million people is okay. That is the way to live life. <laughs> every few million years, we've had like a thousand outbreaks already since H1N1 and the bird flu and swan, whatever many there are, West Nile, and it doesn't happen once every millennium. So do you not think that the um, immunities and the, the antibodies that we have would be more apt to deal with foreign diseases if they weren't so foreign after some time? Ladies and gentlemen, he did do air quotes <laughs> around foreign because in that sense there wouldn't be any foreign I just wanted to appreciate that. I just, well, the immune system might be a little bit better because more people are moving around, but I don't know if it's enough to stop a disease. Well, and I think that going from a society that we have today to something like one open world, um, it would be, it would wreak havoc for a while, right? Because the entire balance needs to be adjusted. Um, it would be pandemonium for decades. decades. Right. But centuries, no. We could write this wrong. I think you vastly overestimate or underestimate how selfish people are. Mm, that seems like an argument against nationalism. 
No, 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 no. It's very much for nationalism because if I'm selfish within my own border, that's that's pride. That's looking out for your own. But if it's a free-for-all, I'm looking out for my family, the people closest to me. So I don't care about someone. If you're on, if you're in an area where I determine that's where I want to live, what's stopping me? What's, again, if there's no governing body, is murder going to be okay? Or because there has to be a government body, mostly because a lot of the points I have determine that but it just brings <laughs> it brings to the point that there has to be some form of control otherwise it'll be chaos this will be the wild west do you not think that do, do you believe in the moral compass that's another podcast i think that's one of our topics there are people inherently good or inherently well i will bad. pull that argument in in support of my argument where yes there are bad people in the world but when left to their own devices, I think good will prevail. There will always be bad mixed in the pot, but the overwhelming will be good. And I think government inflicts more damage than good as a whole. Maybe not to us in the States. We are kind of in the, the golden land. We very, very <laughs> privileged as two white yeah. males. We are one to talk about tyrannical government. Um, but I think the views um, from many other countries, you know, specifically in the you know the last 20 years in the Middle East, um, are much different of our governments and uh, whether they're good or evil. So that's another argument for another time. I think that that's actually a decent argument. Do governments do more good than bad? But I don't think that's that is a point, but not the full okay, argument but here. Take the point that if governments do, in fact, do more bad than good, then maybe getting rid of the government and getting rid of borders would in turn result in a better society. You bring up the Middle East and how that's kind of a tinderbox. One of the points I have written down here when I should have been paying attention in class was ideology. So let's say everyone can move. Let's just forget about Israel and Pakistan and the whole tinderbox that is the Middle East, and just pretend that there are no contentious spots, that there'll be no people fighting over the Gaza Strip. So let's just say that ideologically, people will start moving to where they are. People of a certain faith will start moving together, will become their own little culture. And what if that leads to violence? So I'm not, again, we're not saying terrorists. I'm not saying terrorists. I'm not even going to point out any fingers at any religion. But what if a group decides that they're better than another group and they just don't want to live where they are and they want Group B's spot? Who's going to protect against the violence from Group A? B or C through Z? Are they going to come to the aid or... Again, this is where a government would be needed, a military specifically. So you're inherently defining classes of people in this argument, not by nation, but by location. So you're, no, It would be location and ideology. By, so, so let's say for the sake of argument, as Vikings fans, everyone starts moving in Minnesota area and... The Bears are in Illinois, but we decide we want Chicago and the river and the lake. 
what it, what's stopping us from taking over and using force if we decide that's a cause worth going well, for? Well, what does the balance of power look like between those two ideologies? It's whatever they happen to be at the time. If we're starting from zero, I don't know. Are they allowed to make their own military? Because it's going to be a wide sloth of people if I can develop weapons within my group What's stopping me from using it to other groups that I determine would benefit me? So, you, and you keep mentioning you as the Vikings fan. Yes, that would be either group A or B in this scenario. In what scenario could your individual ideology or a small group of people that think they need to take over another land or area um, get the masses behind you? And how would you do that without some sort of tyrannical government? Well, no, it wouldn't be a tyrannical government. It would just be an ideal. It can be a religion. It can be uh, a supremacy of one group over another. It just matters that there's an idea. I'm not going to say who gets behind what. They say Tiananmen Square was over fashion. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they need an ideology. They just need a feeling in order to get behind. And if they feel slighted, or whatever, to start fighting, who's coming in to stop them? So the thought is, globalized world, um, ideology that differs would um, create those divides anyways. Well, I'm saying that if you're able to freely move, people of certain groups are going to start gravitating towards each okay, other. Okay, so... Which could lead to do conflict. Do you think... And I know there's a lot of um, example of this on small scales, but at a large scale, what ideologies do you think clash to the point of violence? Because I think a lot of the unknown of diverse ideologies causes this conflict. But I think a lot of the times if you, um, you know, come to understand somebody else's beliefs, you'll see that there are a lot of parallels with your own. I think, that's not a good argument because people have been spending millennia not understanding their views. They don't care. They get into a hive mind or an echo chamber where all they hear is they're bad and we're good. And that starts to become the point, not, oh, this belief kind of aligns with this belief. We should be their friends. It's just, I think it's a point that can't be ignored because... Violence among groups has been historic. Ever since the dawn of time, there have been fighting of some sort, whether it's over land or a nation's goods or oil. There's always violence, and I don't think a kumbaya world government will suddenly be the cure-all. Okay, so ideologies, people fighting since the beginning of time, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Oh, you're just going to dismiss this because it's hard to think about. So, okay. It is hard to think about. It's a tough subject. But the natural uh, you know, progression of warfare and fighting, whether it's ideology, different groups of people, whatever, the negative effects that that has on society, which are some, I mean, some violence and war tears countries apart. Do you think that's better, the organic violence and the organic war, than 
the war for profit that we see today with nation-state governments. War is used as a, a business. That's true, the military-industrial complex, if you're going to talk about Eisenhower. But there are some cases where World War Two, for example, there was plenty of people that made money off that war, but that was to stop a terrible regime. So let's, again, we can't forfeit the military-industrial complex and how profitable people get during war, but I just don't think that'll be a driving factor. It might even be a driving factor. Let's say one group really benefits from starting wars. Who's coming in to stop them? Everybody else. <laughs> See, that's you know what everyone else means. A no, government. no, 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 no. It's your your options with governments and with divided uh, cultures are very limited. It's just like you said. Who is going to come save them? It's either going to be you or you or you A, B, or C or all three, right? When you have a uh, a group of people that scales the globe, um, my thought is that the power would balance itself out. No one group can become powerful enough. And if they can, there's always enough on the counter end of that to react. So the sum of the many are going to be better than one individual group? That's my thought. And so what if that's not the case, though? What if one country, what if people in Canada just start edging out other people and they suddenly flip the switch? I just don't. I think the free movement of people leads to a lot of issues mostly the outbreaks and the ideological gravitation it's just a recipe for disaster so your the core of your statements are that free moving people are problematic that's the that's the root of it very much so and i'm this is not a say on immigration as it states today because i think currently the u.s's immigration thing is busted it is way too difficult to immigrate here but the fact that you can spend $1,000 and you can suddenly live in any country in the world, I think it opens up a can of worms that uh, it's just hard because how is infrastructure going to be taken care of? The whole fact, let's just say that there could be one perfect world government where everyone gets along, which is impossible because we can't even do that at the city level. There just has to be someone there to take control of infrastructure, be it plumbing or sewage or plowing roads. Yes, certain people will just do that, but at a large enough scale, places like New York City and the six or like tens of millions of people that live in the metro, there has to be some form of government. And if you don't say capital G government, it's going to be a group of people and they can influence things a lot more if there's no in-check system. Okay. I, knew, I knew I was going to beat you from the second you asked which topic I wanted. <laughs> all right, so government, infrastructure, all key things is what you're saying. Hmm. Every time I hear you breathe, I know that's an edit <laughs> point, just for the record. So if you could here, breathe less, that would here. be great. Is that any better? <laughs> okay, there you go. A little bit, yeah. You gotta think on this. Of a way you're not gonna. Because also, I haven't even started talking about economics. Well, you wanna talk about economics? I don't think you wanna step into my dojo, okay? <laughs> I listen to Planet Money and Freakonomics all day. Steven Dubner's your boy, huh? Dude, that guy looks so much different than he sounds. I never 
Never Google no. them. You should never Google your stars or voice I'm actors. I'm Googling them right now. No. Why does he look like that? <laughs> right? I pictured him, like, with longer hair and a beard. More, more serious. Yeah. That's a goofy-looking bastard. Stephen Dubner, if you're listening, I love your show. <laughs> oh, man. Poor guy. That's Freakonomics, too, if anyone wants to listen to his program, which is just incredible. That it is. That it is. Anyway, so, economics can't be overlooked. So let's say a place like China or Taiwan that can pump out just massive amounts of products, what's stopping them from flooding any market? Tariffs are a way to stop that. Don't hold up your finger, I'm making a point. Tariffs would stop that. What? How else are you going to control that? Like to wag in your finger. People can't see you. Okay, you're, you're talking about China's ability to pump out massive amounts of products. There is... Well, in this case, it would be where China's located because China no longer exists. Exactly. And there's also a key contributing factor to their ability to do that, their government. Again, with the Balancing Act, if you have a government like China has in place and you have the, the model of living that they support over there, you're going to pump out, like we see, ridiculous amounts of product and man manufacturing consumer goods. Um, you take away that style of government and the people will balance it out. I don't think the people will balance that out because what has what is always number one on people's minds? Sex. Money. <laughs> also sex. I can't sex and power and money. Everything can be drawn to that. Helen of Troy to every conflict ever has been about sex, money, or power. And people are gonna want to make as much money as possible. Would you have money without government? Yeah, how else because there's no other way to Trade of good. course there is. Good for good. That, yeah, that's trading. You know what else I'm trading you for? For a hamburger, I will trade you this $10 because bill. Because it's a government-sanctioned currency. Um, because it's an agreed-upon currency, not because it's a government. Have you ever played Fallout? Why? Well, I, I got my own pit boy. Why? Um, so, yeah, you are trading for bottle caps. That has no value except the value that people assign Exactly. It. So if you take away currency and you take away government... And then your skills and your uh, you know intuition and the things that you have on your person become your currency. So in order to get an iPod, I'm gonna have to give someone my shoe. What what is this? I don't think that's uh, gonna happen. And a money and any form of money. I don't care what currency. I don't care if they're actual gold bullions or what do you how'd you say? I don't care if they're little chunks of gold. There has to be an agreed-upon thing because I'm not going to be able to give up. I have goods that I can produce, but let's say I'm a farmer and you're making the newest iPod. How how are we going to translate? One person can't make an iPod, but one person can grow food. So there are going to be companies, and companies can't distribute a bushel of corn for one iPod. So... Only because a bushel's like 50 bucks, but that's not important. <laughs> I, th I think if you have a, a free trade market globally with a you know non-defined currency, and you to look at the rule of six degrees of separation, right? Have you ever heard of six degrees of separation? 
Yes, you can type in people's name and put in Bacon number, and you can find the degrees of separation between. So you know, you, you take away um, you know standardized currency. You 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 add yeah six three. And what I was kind of trying to allude to there is the 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 iPod manufacturer and the farmer can find the common ground through other people if it was needed. There's there's going to be a string of people. Maybe it's six. Maybe it's two. Um, where that chain and that uh, supply chain could happen, right? So the farmer will get something he needs for his corn, and somebody would end up with an iPod. Oh, that is just so much easier to have dollars or ruples or however you decide a gold standard. Have you ever heard of the uh, Red Paperclip Project? I have, where the guy traded a red paperclip for a house yeah. or something like yeah. that. That is one edge case. But it's just because it's, that's enough. I don't think because a guy traded a thousand times to get a house that that's going to work on a global scale. It was actually, and let me confirm this, but it was like 16 times or something like that. 16? Jesus, can I have a paper? Hold on. Let me, we're, we're going to plug this because this is not the norm uh, because of the way we, you know, we live. But if, if this was more common... All right, so you went, he went from a red paper clip to a fish pen to a doorknob. Who has a doorknob to trade? <laughs> somebody, wants a, somebody wants a fish pen to a Coleman stove to a generator to an instant party. An instant yep. party? What does that mean? I don't For know what the that is. Probably because I don't get invited to parties. For the red generator, he traded it for a beer keg, a neon sign, and an IOU for a keg's worth of beer. Okay. <laughs> Who has that to trade? This is such an edge case. You're just digging yourself a hole. But it's a good study to bring up. And and you get the point. So then he goes to a snowmobile. He goes from the snowmobile to a a trip to Yonk. I don't know where Yonk is. You know where Yonk? Looks like it's in British Columbia. He traded that trip for a, a van. Traded that van for a recording contract. Traded the recording contract for a year in Phoenix and traded the year in Phoenix for the house. That's like 12 trades. So six is the degrees of separation there. Yep. And I understand it would be less extreme than that, especially if you have goods that people need versus fish pen. That's the thing. And you take away, I mean, you, you take away, um, you know, the the allure to not go out and get usable things, right? You, you're going you're gonna to drive people to, want to build and create things or at least um, consume or um, collect things that will be useful to other people so they can live their lives. I bet you could use this pair of scissors. Why would I need scissors? Because I'm hungry. Are you talking about my beard? Because I will kill you. <laughs> and then you couple all of these arguments that I have with the ability of global communication, which we have today, this video call we're on right now. I understand that. it makes that, it a whole lot easier. I don't think it makes it easier because we can't figure things out for ourselves now. No, I think we're always looking to a leader or someone else to figure things out for us because of the fear that we can't figure things out ourselves. I don't know. I, With all the points I've brought up, you haven't convinced me on a single one. Like, I can't even... I can maybe go with the fact that healthcare might be a little easier to go across, quote-unquote, state lines if there are no state lines, but that doesn't, I just, you haven't convinced me. But that's okay, because the point of this show is never to convince you. We know that'll never happen, and you'll never convince me. 
That's not true because the there are certain times when I, like last week's episode, I did not believe a word I said. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I can't be. I can be convinced. There are good points. We should have a bell. Anytime someone makes a good point. Instant win. Yeah, but I think the listeners are going to agree with my points. No, they're not. Your points were paperclip and kumbaya. And love. (laughs) Yes, love never fails us. Correct. I just... I think you... I think you're overestimating people quite a bit. Because... Or you're not appreciating the government... Nearly enough. <laughs> Which is a thing I say with very much trepidation because I'm all for a revolt any time just for the sake of it. I just, I don't, I think it's dangerous to let people lead themselves. Not in a sense that they can't be trusted, I just, I don't like where it's, where it headed. Would you let lead, you lead yourself or a group of people? Oh, I wouldn't want a group of people that would let me lead them is not someone I'd want to lead. Okay, never mind. I'm I'm just saying, I don't know enough of anything to rule a whole... I can just... I can barely keep myself fed and washed. And you can make honey. I can't make honey. My bees can make honey. You have the resources. You know how I get to a job? With roads I didn't have. You could get there just fine without those roads. Because there was... No, you need someone to build the roads. Maybe if we didn't have government building all these roads, we'd have a personal flight by now. You're talking about the... Egg. Okay, don't get crazy. I, uh, You know, for my editing's sake, I might take that out just to spare you the ridiculous... Personal flight, like as in jetpacks or people's ability to, like, flap their arms. <laughs> Maybe we would have fallen into that level. <laughs> Uh, no, of course, jetpacks or something to the effect. Large drones. <laughs> I was thinking about that when I was dragging a deer in the middle of the woods. When I can't wait till drones are cheap enough and powerful enough, I could just hook up a deer to it and just have them take it out of the woods that way. That would be sweet. Can't wait. All right, let's close this thing out. Let's do final points. Sir, take it away. My final point is that globalization relies on humanity and the idea that um, people will, you know, inevitably be good as a whole and that uh, borders and restriction and government and governing uh, and currency and rules are all limiting our potential to uh, achieve that. That's it? That's all you got? Okay. That's That's all I mean. So the fact that, we need a nation's nations and a government is just speaks for itself, whether it is the ability to control goods across imagined borders or just of overall protection a government provides, it is irresponsible not to have nation. Just for the quality of life alone. Fear of the unknown people. Fear of the unknown. Yeah, the unknown is scary. (laughs) So that's my point. I don't think that eliminating the world as we know it now for an unknown is a good idea. Because it's unknown. And it could go really, really badly. I know we need to end this, but how do you not know that we are on the edge of the cliff right now with life as we know it? 
Oh my god. <laughs> this needs to be another episode. I, but keep that part in. <laughs> <laughs> we are not on the edge of forever. We are fine. The people are fine. They're a little awful and a little crazy, but we're not going to get blinked out of an existence anytime soon. If there was any, ever a time for that to happen, it's in the next two years. Let's <laughs> just say it. For what reason could you possibly mean? <laughs> I don't know. I have an inking feeling. So much for keeping these timeless, Greg. So, <laughs> all right. Why don't you uh, take us away? You do the outro. Well, folks, that concludes our impeccable arguments on globalization versus nationalism. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, fun fact, me and Taylor Swift's number of separation is now two.